When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Jason Zucker's back and by all counts, he should be in the lineup tonight in St. Paul. But what happens to everyone else now? Good morning to you. Good Thursday morning. I'm Dayan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Penguins. Comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into football and or baseball. I also offer up daily shots of Steelers and Pirates that I hope you'll check out. It will be Penguins versus Wild tonight, 8 o'clock Eastern at the XL Energy Center. And it will be, judging by the way practice went in Cranberry and judging by Mike Sullivan declaring Zucker a game-time decision, the return of a pretty important player for this lineup. And I can almost feel the eyes rolling back when I say that because I know that Zucker hasn't been the most popular player among the fan base, although I strongly suspect that has to do a lot more with what Jim Rutherford gave up to get him in a first-round pick, not to mention absorbing really large cap hit at $6 million a year. That's not Zucker's fault, and that's not a reflection of what he does on the ice, which is the only thing that the current coaching staff and the current management team can do anything about. He's still a good player who, by the way, If you rewind back to when he first came to Pittsburgh in that trade, he was such a terrific fit for everything that Sullivan stands for. Everything about Sully Hockey. He was defending hard. He was doing smart things once he got the puck. Super smart guy. He was making a lot happen in the transition game, especially in the neutral zone. And then the other thing that he did was score goals. Do you remember that? I know it feels like it should be on black and white footage, but he finished plays and he finished them at a pretty high level. If you watch Zucker in practice and in skates, and I do, he can really shoot the puck. He can really make things happen in tight quarters. When you see 
uh, that he'll break out of some slump, seven games, eight games, whatever it is, with some really pretty goal. And everybody's, wow, where was that? Where was that? What's the problem there? It just hasn't been clicking for him. Either that or this core muscle injury that he finally got corrected really did affect the precision component to his game. He would not be the first or the last to have that happen. It even happened to Sidney Crosby before he had his core muscle surgery. It goes back through hockey history, actually. It's not an injury you hear a whole lot about. But when it happens, and it happens to scorers, they don't score anymore. They just stop scoring. Everything's got to be right. You know, it's kind of like golf or baseball. It's a precision sport. That part of it is a precision sport. Shooting and finishing. So he'll be back. And based on how lines shook out yesterday, he'll be with Evgeny Malkin and... Ricard Raquel. And that leaves a lot of other stuff in limbo. This portion of Daily Shot of Penguins is brought to you by the good people at the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank, where they're committed to providing food for all of our neighbors in need across Western Pennsylvania. They, in turn, need your help. Find out how $1 can be turned into five full meals for those in need. Visit pittsburghfoodbank.org. The first stuff that's left in limbo is Radim Zahorna. He's going to be the odd man out, as I think anyone would have reasonably expected. Not on merit. I'm just talking about what the coaches would actually do. We can make all kinds of arguments as to why Brian Boyle or Kasperi Kapanen or somebody else would be the odd man out. We're not going to win them. Kappen looks like he's starting to come around to contribute. The Penguins do need scoring. They believe they can still get it from him. And Boyle, who's taking him out now, right? Especially when he's doing most of that secondary scoring on his own, including a really high-quality playoff-type deflection goal the other night against the Rangers, something the rest of the team would have done well to emulate. So what happens? Well, the obvious and welcome development out of this is that Brian Rust goes back up to the top line with Sidney Crosby and Jake Gensel. The third line now has Jeff Carter between Evan Rodriguez and Kasperi Kapanen. The Rodriguez thing on the first line really didn't work because the Rodriguez, who was doing really well on the first line earlier in the season, no longer exists. And by the way, let's not rule out, you know, him becoming the odd man out at some point either. And the fourth line's got Teddy Bluger between Boyle and Danton Heinen on the right side. I like nothing about Heinen being A on the fourth line, B on the right side. I understand the team is where it is, but it it doesn't have a great feel to it. I've really liked what Heinen has brought to this team on a night-in and night-out basis, particularly when it comes to being a shoot-first guy. And especially after that showing against the Rangers the other night where it was shoot last night, the last thing I'd be doing 
is bumping high and down. But again, there's time for this stuff to to work itself out. And it's important to note here that Sullivan and his staff like to put together forward lines principally as pairings and then have the other person who's on that line be considered more of a wild card who can slide up and down. You can find that pairing without trying really hard on each line. But the pairing itself, in their eyes, needs to have a balance. There's There's got to be somebody out there who can take care of the of the defensive part, who can be the F3 who slides back. Uh, to get a little technical on you here, whenever a defenseman pinches, F3 means the third forward. Someone who comes back instinctively, reflexively, without thinking about it, without having somebody shout from the bench for them to do it. That's a big reason Zucker is on that line with Gino and Raquel. Raquel's He's an okay defensive player. He's not somebody that you would actually even waste a whole lot of time in analyzing from that perspective. He's just kind of there. He's not bad. He's not good. He's whatever. You need somebody who's going to be good and responsible, especially because of Geno's high-risk, high-reward tendencies when passing the puck. There's time. There's time for this stuff to still further sort itself out. A lot of that is obviously going to depend on Raquel and how he responds to being alongside Gino. My earliest indications uh, on how that line is going to go are probably a little unfair because he was on the left side, but there's potential there, especially, especially that part where he just goes to the net. That'll always serve you well playing with 71. When we come back, just one question. Today's J1Q comes from Ed, who asks, DK, do you think that the players understand how imperative it is that they play the way you highlighted following the Rangers game? I'm assuming it's not a mystery to them, but will they be able to play 60 minutes like that? An entire series, are they invested in that type of sustained effort. I just don't see them beating this Rangers team in a series because they will not or choose not to play the entire game the way they played the third. The Rangers certainly will continue to play the same way. Ed, please repeat this one after me. The Rangers ain't that good, okay? Let's not build them up into some sort of Hockey superpower because they had four minutes and 16 seconds of dominance one night in New York and the other two games were each decided by a single goal, one of them won by Pittsburgh, and one of them won by New York. There's not much daylight between these teams. I don't believe that the Rangers are the best team in the division. That would be the Hurricanes. 
In fact, I'm not even really sure that that's an opinion at this point. The Hurricanes have been exactly what you've seen of them from day one. They didn't just grow up and mature over the course of the year. They didn't surprise anybody. And most importantly, they haven't leaned anywhere near as heavily on their goaltending as the Rangers have had to do with Igor Shesterkin. Now, the goalie's part of your team, okay? That's cool, all right? Goalie steals a game, you stole the game, you know? There's no separating the two. However, however, having defensive shortcomings, as the Rangers do, and as was on mighty display Tuesday night at PPG Paints Arena, that's not something that'll work well for you in the playoffs. Asking your goalie to steal games, to steal series, and to account for too much a percentage of the work that you do in your own zone is a formula for failure in the playoffs. I'm not knocking what the Rangers have overall. Certainly not Shesterkin. Definitely not the transition game and the finishers that they have up front and whatever's gotten into Chris Kreider this year. But I'm asking you here. You're free to feel about this however you want. I'm asking you to step away from the outcomes and just look at the actual hockey. The Penguins and Rangers played a pretty even game for the most part Tuesday night. They played an extremely even game in their first meeting. And the Penguins had four minutes and 16 seconds from hell in the middle meeting. Now, to attempt to answer your question, the, what you'd asked before praising the Rangers excessively, the Penguins absolutely can and want to play this system, their system, to the best of their ability. We have seen that all season. Again, don't get swayed by an outcome here or there. The Penguins are a 40-win team. And a lot of those 40 wins came at nowhere near full strength in terms of manpower, much less having acquired an impact player like Raquel. I'm not sure how much more evidence you need of how hard this team works and how dedicated it is. Are they going to lay the occasional egg? Sure they are. I was in Buffalo myself to watch that thing hatch. But when you look at how they've done against some of the better teams in the NHL, they've got a winning record against the top 10 teams in the league. Cumulative winning record. And for the most part, they've gotten that record by being in these teams' faces, by doing the Sullivan system thing. And you know what? If you want to doubt it between now and the time the puck drops tonight in St. Paul, go nuts. I think you're going to see the Penguins come out against the Wild with that same approach that they've shown against other top teams. And then I think you'd better see it in Denver against the Avalanche, and then again a couple days later when the Avs come out to Pittsburgh. I don't care that they're missing 
Nathan McKinnon. That is still an amazing hockey team. And they will have no choice, the Penguins, other than to play that system, to play it for the full 60 minutes and be even better than the Rangers. Thanks for the cue. Thanks to everybody for listening to Daily Shot of Penguins. We'll do another one of these tomorrow. 